Let us pray. Our Father, this is your word, that which was read to us. Not our opinion, but your word. And only the Holy Spirit can make the things of God real to our darkened hearts. So I pray that he whom you have given to be our teacher and to lead us into all truth, the Spirit of God will now lead us thus, in that way, in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we are going to take another look at the life of Christ, this time from the book of Mark. We began the series on Christ, reasons to believe in God. We began by Matthew declaring Jesus is the Son of God as he was baptized. And from Luke, we looked into what Luke said, I want you to have certainty as to what you believe. It is not, it is not if you please, the flying spaghetti. It is truth. It is true truth. We looked at Jesus in the wilderness being tempted as the son of man, identifying with us facing the enemy and overcoming the enemy of our souls. This morning we look at Mark. Mark is a fascinating book. In fact, for missionaries, when they go to the mission field, this is one of the first books that they will teach. This is one of the first books that they will, they will translate. Because the Mark is the book of action. The key word in the book of Mark is straight away or immediately. Mark doesn't have time with details. You notice Mark doesn't say anything about the incarnation. Mark gives just, this, the, the, just, the, just the information you need. Everything that we read in details from Matthew and from Luke... And even from John, we will find Mark just giving you the great old line of dragnet, just a fact, just a fact. And Mark is said to be the earliest of the Gospels that was written. And you will find traces of Mark in all four Gospels. And one of the reasons for that is because Mark was related to Peter, and Peter was an eyewitness of what happened, and a lot of what Mark has to say was given to him by Peter, who walked with Christ, who saw Christ with his eyes. This morning, we want to ask not a question, but we want to make a statement, because the way it is in the bulletin, it would almost, and I, I, I struggle with this, do I put a question mark after why did Jesus come? Or do I, do I just say, here is why Jesus came. <laughs> what is the latter? Why did Jesus come? What was his coming all about? What did he want you and me to know about heaven? What did he want you and me to know about the purposes of God in human history? It's, it's always amazing to me. That is one reason I have, when I first came here, and used to have the Bible reading during the service. After the first four Sundays, I said, I, we should get rid of that. That's taking up time. 
in the service, and I want to get to, to uh, you know, what I want to say. And God rebuked me in my spirit because I've, I kept noticing that there was never a time when the scriptures were read that it didn't coincide with the text that I had been studying all week, unknown. And Colleen didn't know what I was going to speak on this morning. But when she read about Ephesians chapter 1, it come right into. That tells us why Jesus came. What the whole purpose of the gospel is. And God just put everything together. And that is something sacred that I would not touch for as long as I am here. And so this morning, we're going to go to Mark and catch a glimpse, because that's all we can do, catch a glimpse of why did Jesus come? Why did he leave heaven's glory to come into a world that was going to do him ill? From verse 15 of Mark 1, Mark tells us what Jesus was all about, what he was doing. He said, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel saying, the time of fulfillment has come. In that little phrase, the time of fulfillment is the ground, the background of why Jesus came. He came on a mission. A mission means that we do not go to to sightsee. A mission means we have a purpose as to why we are doing something. And I want to talk about two things about the mission of Jesus from Mark's gospel. First, Jesus lived with a sense of mission. There was never a time when Jesus was not aware of the purpose for which he came to earth. At the age of 12, when he went with his parents to the, to the feast, and when the parents thought that he was with other friends and that he didn't turn up, and all of a sudden they realized that he was not there with them, they decided to go back and they found him in the temple. And when Mary rebuked the 12-year-old son, her child, he said to Mary, are you not aware of the fact that I should be about my father's business? At 12, there was this sense that he had a mission which drove him from eternity to come. And listen to what he says. The time is fulfilled. Now that word time is not speaking about what time of the day it is. The time is speaking of a period a period in which certain things were happening leading to something else. And so Jesus came realizing John the Baptist came to introduce him. John did that. John was going to make his exit out of the scene by way of prison. And it's amazing if you read the text. When John was put into prison, Jesus came preaching. He didn't go to rescue John. He didn't go to, 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 to have some kind of defense as to why John should not be in prison. It was all a part of the process. This time period in which God was working in human history leading up to this time. And so in came Christ. 
from outer world into this world, born as a babe in Bethlehem, declared to be the Son of God at his baptism, declared to be the Son of Man in his temptation. All that was a part of what God was doing. All that was a part of the whole program of God in the life of his Son. And so there was a period of time, a fixed time, during which time God is at work to bring about whatever his eternal plans were. And we heard some of it this morning read, like I said, from Ephesians 1. Jesus lived with, you know, when I was in college, I remember some of the students, some of them were going to Japan as missionaries, some of them were going to go to Africa as missionaries, and then some would come to me and say, Thurton, what are you going to do after graduation? And I gave them this brilliant answer, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't have that sense of a, a destination. But I'm going to tell you, friends, as I stand here, I had a sense of mission. I knew why I was at this school. I knew what I was doing there. And all through, I remember one day, one of the leaders came to me and frightened the living daylights out of me. He said, Winston, the voice of the prophets are on your life. Oh, my word. What am I going to do? There was a sense. And I got this from my Lord. Jesus was never at a loss in time as to why he existed. In my, in my uh, perspective this past week, I wrote about what is happening that young people are giving up their lives to go and fight for an organization that promised them prostitution, human trafficking, and death. Why would they go and surrender their lives to that? And I'm going to tell you why, friends. This is not all the answer, but they have been given a sense, a cause. A cause. They have been given a sense of, of, of meaning. You will find meaning in this cause. And when we, when we, when we refuse to give this sense of a, a reason for our existence, anything will do. Anything will do. Jesus never had to wonder what a day brought forth because he was able to look at a day and say, what will my father do today? Because I am here under his commission. And you and I should live that way in our lives. We might not have the same, and we don't have the same ministry of Je as Jesus, but we have a ministry from God. You and I have been left here for a purpose, and we, are also should be, we also should be living with this sense of mission, of purpose. This is why this church has a purpose statement and a mission statement. The purpose statement is why we are here. That's what we're doing this morning, worshiping. Our mission statement is what we're to be doing, reaching out at home and abroad. So we have a purpose statement and a mission statement, and it has to do with the sense that we're here under God's direction. And so the sense of a mission, Jesus lived with that. But I want you to see the stress, the stress of his mission. 
Look at what the text says, verse 14, uh, 15. Jesus came at that time. At that time he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. His mission had to do with the kingdom of God, the reign and the rule of God in morality, in spirituality. The reign of God over the creation in which he created. It is that, it is that sense in which we know that as we go through certain things, that God is working in the midst of even the corruption to bring about his purpose. And we know that we can never, never be defeated. We can never lose if we are on the same page with God. Listen to what he says. He came preaching the kingdom of God. Please listen. The kingdom of God is not about me. The kingdom of God is about God. He's going to tell us about God in ways we have never heard or known before. Matthew eleven twenty five. No one knows the Son like the Father, and no one knows the Father like the Son, and the Son will reveal the Father to all those whom the Father has given to Him. Jesus Christ came and his mission was to stress the rule, the existence, the authority of God in human history. The emphasis upon the fullness of time grounded was, was there everywhere in the proclamation. It is in history we see God working Little did we understand at the time how God could bring anything out of this. But my friends, we cannot see because we are not God. But when we stress that the kingdom is of God, that what this church is doing has to do with God, then, my friends, we are on a different page. In fact, we are on a collision course with the world in which we live. kingdom of God. It is about God. We were singing that last Sunday. We were singing it, sing it again. For a long time, worship has to do with what I like in worship. How I like to worship. What songs we do in worship. Now worship is being told, don't use the scriptures so much. Because people want to feel more than they want to think. But worship is not about you, nor is it about me. Jesus came to stress the kingdom of God. The accent was upon God. The initiative was by God. The content was about God. The distinctiveness was about God. It was all God, God, God. And when the stress of a ministry becomes anything other than that, we are in for trouble because human stresses run out of energy and we soon have to find a new one to stress. The kingdom of God then 
is to put an eternal perspective on earthly life. Jesus came to put an eternal perspective on earthly life. And in Matthew, he's going to tell us, when you face life with all its demands and its needs, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek his rule in the midst of the chaos. Seek his footsteps when we cannot trace them. I pause not because of anything, but because my heart gets saddened when I think, for those of you who have not been at the prayer meeting, there's a prayer request there for some friends of ours in in Toronto. This 36-year-old man who was struck, he's he's stricken with uh, um, whatever it is that caused him to have this massive stroke. I was talking with Christine, the mother-in-law, and she said he just sits in his chair. And the doctor, who was a Christian doctor, looked at them and said, we are helpless. We have no answer for what has happened to this man. We have no answer. And Christine said, Winston, the only thing that keeps me going, and that's not all the sickness that has come, The only thing that keeps me going is God. For where else could I go? Where else could I go? Does the atheist, Christian scientist who doesn't believe in pain, can I go there? Jesus came to put an eternal perspective on life, on human life, human experience. That's what the kingdom of God is. It is the eternal perspective on our existence. The devil in the wilderness said to him, turn the stones into bread because life is material. And Jesus said, no, we live not by what we eat, we live by what we believe. Man lives by bread alone, he's going to die. But a man or a woman who lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God lives. And when life seems to be dragging and taking all meaning away, the kingdom of God makes sense to the soul that is trusting God when nothing else will do. That's the mission of Jesus. He came to put an eternal perspective on life. Secondly, look at the message of Jesus. We have no question again. Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching. I love that. (laughs) Jesus came into Galilee preaching. It's a great word. Because Jesus was preaching not himself. He was preaching the gospel of God. He, God, is the source of of what Jesus was saying. And friends, I want to stick to the text so that when I stand here, that the source of what I say comes from the same one who gave it to the Lord Jesus. Preaching is not the idea of man 
coming together to say something nice about human life. The word for preaching there is to herald, to be a crier, someone who is unashamed of speaking out. The gospel of God then is the word of God. Please listen. The word of God does not go into fluctuation with the changing of time. Forever, Psalm 119, 89, 119, verse 89. Forever thy word is settled in heaven. The gospel, my friends, is not the culmination of human ideas, hopingly, hoping that something will happen to human lives. The gospel is the whole design of God. Blessed be God who in times past, in the eternities, designed the whole purpose of the gospel so that it belongs to him. This past week, the, United, the, the, the Presbyterian Church USA came out with the declaration now. Now, and there are different Presbyterian churches, so it's Presbyterian USA. When you say that, people will know what you mean. And I have to make that distinction because my son, our son, is working in a Presbyterian church in, in, in Seattle. But that, this is not a part of them. They came out with a declaration this week that marriage, as far as they're concerned, is the union of two persons. That's our declaration. Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 reaffirmed what was said in Genesis chapter 2, that marriage is not the union of two persons. It's a man and a woman. And my friends, when Jesus came, he came preaching the gospel of God. So the gospel is saying the news that God, what God says, not what he doesn't say. I, I, I cringe sometimes because I, I have deep convictions about these things. And sometimes it might, it, might, it might sound like I'm being arrogant. And I, don't, I really don't know if I know how to be arrogant. But my friends, when it comes to what God says, I am on a slippery slope if I, at any point in my preaching ministry, will try to alter what God has said. If at any point I feel that I can deviate for a minute, no, forever, forever, ever, from before time where there is no human beginnings, your word is established, is settled, it is firm. Nothing can shake it. That's what Luke was saying to Theophilus. I want you to be settled in your conviction that the source of what I am saying to you, although human hands are writing them, the Holy Spirit is in absolute control so that no error is ever made. He came. The source of his message was God. He spread his message by preaching. He was a herald. One of the things I discovered, you read about Galilee all the time. And, and we know that this was a place in Palestine and 
and so on. And uh, those of us who have been over there have walked those, those, those places. But did you know that Galilee was the richest and the most populous of Palestine at the time of the writing of Mark? Galilee was responsible for producing wheat and wine and oil. Galilee was fertile, that it was cultivated with the spade like a garden. The people crowded in numberless populous villages engaged in agriculture, woolen manufacturer, dyeing, weaving, linen. In other words, my friends, Galilee was not some out-of-the-way place. It, it, it wasn't Sodaville. You know, you, you can say, oh, Sodaville, the people there, you know, they are country people. They are, yeah, you know. No. What I want you to see here, my friends, is that the gospel that Jesus preached penetrated a city. It went into the place where people were rich, where people were, were, were educated, where people had everything. And Jesus said, man cannot live by bread alone. So he came preaching the gospel in Galilee. And we are not going to make any excuses for preaching the gospel from this pulpit. Paul, writing to Timothy, said, Timothy, there will come a time when people will not give any heed to sound doctrine, but they will want to hear things that will itch their ears. But Timothy, you preach the word of God in season, out of season. Don't deviate from it. And Jesus never faltered with all the pressures that were brought upon him in the days of his flesh. He never said perhaps God meant something else. You'll see this in a minute. One of my favorite persons in history said this about preaching. Preaching include a lot of things we have in preaching. We add to preaching, but that's not preaching. What is preaching? James Stewart said this. It was the announcement of certain concrete facts of history. It was the heralding of real objective events. Its keynote was this. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. It was declaration, not debate. Uh, during the 80s and the 90s when the church was going through its, its, its transformation, some churches used to preach and give people notes so that they can give their views on the message after it was preached. <laughs> I was in a big church in Toronto some time ago, just before we left to come to the States. And that morning, there was Sunday morning service. It was a church we, we know, we knew, was a very evangelical church. And uh, that morning there was a review of a, 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 a play. We didn't know that. And the former pastor was also there, was beginning to get blind now. 
very, very wonderful Welsh preacher, has become my very dear friend. And I didn't know he was in the service, and after the service, as we were walking out, I saw him, and I went over, I said, Glenn, how are you? And he said, Winston, 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 kind of scary stuff, you know. He said, Winston, I don't know what I heard this morning, but it's not my cup of tea. <laughs> it's not my cup of tea. My friends, the pulpit is not for the review of human events. The pulpit is not to dialogue with the congregation. It is to declare. It is to say this is what God has said. And Jesus went into Galilee preaching, declaring like a herald. He was crying out these things. Like, like Jonah going to Nineveh. Repent for in so many days God is going to work and going to move. So Jesus knew why he was coming. Jesus was engaged in what he came for. Thirdly, the method. The method. How did Jesus do this in his preaching? This, my friends, is where the rubber meets the road right now. Look, if you please, verse 15. At the time is fulfilled, said Jesus, the kingdom of God is at hand. Now look at the response. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. This is not some sermon where people are going to look, walk on and say, I really enjoy that. <laughs> Jesus now is going to give the real crux of why he came to put this eternal perspective on human life. Repent. That was the subjective response that he was looking for. The word repent has to do with the mind. It means to think differently or to change one's mind after hearing. You've got to hear something that you put into your mind and say, Oh my word, what have I been doing? And I find throughout the scriptures there are two basic things that must happen at repentance. First, repentance must be, we must have a change of mind when it comes to sin, S-I-N. Sin means that something is wrong between me and God. Before I was a Christian, I didn't think seriously of sin. But when I heard the message of the gospel of God, I was convicted and I need now to change my mind. Proverbs 14.9 says, Fool mocks at sin. But when the Spirit of God brings the truth home to you, you are no longer mocking sin. You are saying sin is a serious business. If the only way that God could have dealt with sin is to cause his son to be slaughtered on the cross, then I cannot take sin lightly. I cannot make sin something that I can just fluff off. David in 2 Samuel chapter 12 when he realized that he was the one guilty of the gross sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, when Nathan went to him and he heard the story and David said, this is what should happen to a man who does something like you have just said. 
And Nathan said to David, David, you are the man. And David said, I have sinned against God. Up until that point, David thought that he could, he could cause his conscience to go to sleep, that he didn't have to deal with it. My friends, if you and I are going to be a part of the kingdom, the gate into the kingdom is the gate of repentance. Repentance. We must change our minds about sin, that sin is sinful, that sin is evil, and sin comes in all kinds of packages. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I want you to know that Acts chapter 21, 20 verse 21, says that God calls men everywhere to repent. Everywhere. It's not only the times of Jesus. And I believe firmly again that one of the reasons we do not see a transformed life of people who say they believe in God is because they have never repented. They have never come to the place where they say, oh God, like Isaiah, what am I going to do? And to realize, that's why, you know, when amazed, every time something bad happens to America, they play the song, they sing the song, Amazing Grace. <laughs> Doesn't matter what, Amazing Grace. My friends, do you know when Newton wrote that song? Let me tell you what he was. He was in rebellion against his parents as a child, as a young man. He was a slave of a slave. He became a slave trader and he became a slave of a slave. And one night when, when, when Newton was on his way back, crossing the sea somewhere, he looked into the heavens and his whole life, his whole life started to crumble in front of him. And he realized that he had been in rebellion against God that his life was as low as a life can, be, can, can get. And he repented that night and he said there was a new life immediately that came into me and that's why he wrote, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. We must repent of sin. Jesus said it. And if we don't believe that sin is that important, we don't need to talk about repentance. But Jesus said, you've got to enter by way of repentance. You've got to say, Lord, I am sorry. Oh, God, I have mocked at sin. And, 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 you know, even sometimes some of the books we read, some of the TV shows we watch make light of sin. And we lose the sense of how grievous sin is to God. One of the things that that I seek in my own life again and again and again is to ask God, never, never allow me to become at ease with anything that sent Jesus to Calvary. Never allow me to become friends with anything for which Jesus Christ died. I need to repent. But we need to repent about God. The views people have about God is just astounding. I mean, people, people want a God that they can control, a God that, that, can, that, can, uh, that can be easily diverted, a God that, that, that panders to their needs. 
A survey was taken in Britain where the people believed in God, and they said, yeah, but not the God of the Bible. Hmm. What do we need to believe about God? I'll give you one classic example. In the fourth chapter of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar is a proud, arrogant idolater. He had a dream, and Daniel told him what that dream was going to be. And in the providence of God, the king of Babylon Babylon became like an animal eating grass and was outside his palace. He couldn't enjoy it. You read the story for yourself. Daniel 4, 35 to 34, verse 35. And when that process was finished... Nebuchadnezzar said this, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from all generation to generations. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, And he does according to his will among the hosts of heavens and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? This was not Nebuchadnezzar before he was repenting. It was Nebuchadnezzar after he repented. He changed his mind about God. God is not equal to me. I am not equal to God. God is not subject to me. I am subject to God. God is not there waiting for me to come so that he can look good. God can look good without me. And again, the lack of repentance in this, in this area, my friends, is a reason why many do not enjoy their Christian life. Because God is still held hostage as to their views of God and not how God has revealed himself. It is the kingdom of God. <coughs> Excuse me, that Jesus preached. That was the subjective response, repentance. It comes from within. Now look at the objective response. Verse 15. Repent and believe in the gospel. To believe in the gospel means that we are not simply giving mental assent to what is happening, but we are surrendering to what it says. It is not simply to believe, but to believe in. Mere head knowledge is what the devil has, because the scripture says the devil believes that God exists, but when he does, he trembles, because he knows what the end result will be. The word believe is the same as the word faith. It means to trust. It means to rely on. It means to be able to, to have the evidence for what is to be believed. Listen to what John says. Many other signs also Jesus performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Romans 10, verse 9, 
Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For with the mouth confession is made, with the heart we believe. With the heart. What does it mean to believe? Let me quickly end here. Some years ago, Dr. Jerry Vine had a martial art fellow for a young people's meeting. And, and he tells this story. He said he was cracking concrete blocks with his hand. Then he looked around for the young people and asked, how many of you believe I could chop up a banana on someone's stomach with his stuff? All of them said, we believe. And then he said, I want a volunteer to come. And all of them volunteer the pastor. <laughs> I could see some of you doing that to me. I could, I could. You believe, but I'll pay the price. And Dr. Vine said, I believed also, but I was not going to make any commitment. But my young people said, they are volunteering me. Suddenly, I found myself going forward. And that martial arts guy took his stuff and all I could feel was the breeze passing over my stomach, he said. You see, my friends, if you believe, something happens to you. If you consent, you continue to debate. But if you believe, for in your heart, you say, God, now I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that should come into the world and die a death that he did not deserve because I deserve it, but he died in my place. I believe that the gospel of God puts the eternal perspective on what's wrong with me, what's right with God, and how God had the remedy. A young lady heard a gospel message and she struggled. And she heard the fact that all you must do is to believe, but believing is not simply something frivolous. Believing is to accept the evidence that can affect my life. And she went home and she struggled and struggled and she came to the place of believing. And she wrote a song that we love to sing. We're not singing it this morning, but we know it. Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. These are written that you might believe. And when you believe in the gospel, when you believe in your heart, when you go beyond the intellectual to the personal, to the inward, I don't believe something about, but I believe what is said. The gospel of God is about God's sentencing sin on the cross and the life of Christ so that I can live forever with God. And I enter into that by repentance and by believing. And when I do, 
God says, welcome home. Welcome home. I wonder if someone will be welcomed by God this morning. I believe that Jesus died for me. That on the cross, he took my place. But today I trust in him. Without one plea I come. Just as he has called me to do. Let us pray. Father, the Son of God came that we might believe in God. His life was the sinless, perfect life lived in a human body. He came to give an eternal perspective on my existence and our existence. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that the Spirit of God will drive this truth home this morning so that if there's one person in this place who has never asked Christ into his or her life, this will be the day that the Spirit opens his or her heart to receive the gospel of God. Preached by Jesus Christ. Recorded for us in the Bible. Finish that work, Father, as only you can. In Jesus' name. Amen.